Hello everyone, welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke and today a very important topic. We're going to talk about autism and how two exceptional people are representing a company here today in Luxembourg. I welcome Dr. Ida Nazari-Koram and also John McCahill. Dr. Ida Nazari-Koram is a medical doctor and worked as a clinician for several years but transferred to health tech innovation over the last decade. Ida has led the development of new technologies focused on making health services accessible and ICT products to improve the well-being of people. In 2016, Ida and her partner created a company to develop social robots as mediums for interacting with children with autism and facilitating their special needs education. Through the use of robots and AI, their company, called Lux AI, aims to support children with autism to gain the skills necessary for social inclusion and independence. Joining them quite recently from Ireland is John McCahill, who has worked in special education as a therapist and leader for over 11 years in Ireland, the UK and now Luxembourg as a board certified behaviour analyst. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in psychology in 2009, he worked as a tutor for children with autism in two specialist centres in Ireland and then gained a master's in applied behaviour analysis in 2013 and moved to London in 2015. Across his career, John has worked with clients from only 18 months old all the way up to adulthood. And John always aimed to make learning enjoyable and teach skills that improve a young person's quality of life. Having worked as a consultant in school and home settings, he now works with Lux AI to design effective educational games for children with autism and other disabilities. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Hi, good morning, Lisa. Now, with Autism Day approaching and upon us, why a robot for autism? Why is that important? And how did you come to even think about this idea, Ida? So one of the main ideas behind uh, thinking about like any kind of technology for children with autism was that we could see that there is a lot of need for support for children with autism and often families who has a child with autism they are quite underserved so we thought that by using a technology we can actually make services and uh, basically specialized interventions more accessible and widely available for the parents to somehow bridge the gap that exists for a shortage of the autism professionals. But in particular, why choosing a robot as a medium and as a technology? The reason was that we saw that children with autism have like a very high interest to engage with technology because it is very predictable, it's very rule-based, easy to understand, and when you are interacting with technology, you always know what is going to come next. But the technology itself doesn't have like a social interface on it. So often it's very difficult to learn something from technology, such as tablet and computer screens, and then use it as a social skill, which is meant to be used when you are interacting with other people. So we thought that if we put a layer of like embodied social robot on the technology. So children would be interacting with something which has all the benefits of the technology, but in an area which is way more closer to something which is related to social interaction and practicing social, emotional and communicational skills. So hopefully for the kids, it's easier to see the robot more of a, as a peer and as a friend, and then 
use the same activities and skills that they have learned from the robot while they are interacting again with their friends in the school, with their family members and with other people. So we thought that having a robot can help us to make interventions accessible and affordable and available, but in the same time, practice them in a way that can be more impactful on the day-to-day life of the children. Mm-hmm. And John, turning to you, you've worked with these families, these children, and of course, the synergy with their families through your career. Firstly, tell us what autism is. I think we all have an idea, but it's it's a large spectrum. So can you give us a definition of how it would appear Um, Yes, so autism is a spectrum condition, as you've said. Um, Largely, children with autism, it'll show up in the first two to three years of life. And you'll find that as a child is becoming, hitting around the age of 12 months, where you usually start to see uh, more social engagement from the child. A child might seek interaction, might gabble and goo and coo at you when you're talking to them, and will make sustained eye contact maybe around that age. Often parents will find that that doesn't happen with their child or child might have some of these early skills and then it regresses. So it's defined by um, deficits in social engagement and then also within play and interests. So typically as children get a little bit older, they'll start to play with toys as they see other people play with them, rolling or throwing a ball or, you know, beeping and crashing a car or something like that. Uh, Whereas with children with autism, the interests around play don't develop in the same way. So it can become with the car, for example, it might be simply spinning the wheels repetitively and the repetition of a single action or single movement can be quite, you know, stimulating for the child or that that can be their form of play that develops naturally for them. And that's something the parents will notice. And then um, you might find other stereotyped or repetitive behaviours as well, such as um, hand flapping, uh, staring at particular points, maybe sometimes uh, adjusting their eyes to kind of catch a particular point of light or something like that. So there'll be differences in how they'll present in their um, interactions with people and then in their play and um, developmental skills in that way. And you have spent your higher education studying this and working within settings where this is seen. What are the gaps there? I think in Ireland and the UK, there is actually quite good help for families. I have heard that in Luxembourg, the help for special needs of an assortment is not so readily available. So tell me how it has been to date, what you have observed and how working with a robot could alter and escalate help for families. Um, Yes, so in Ireland and the UK, we are relatively lucky in terms of special needs provision. You know, it's never as good as you want it to be. But for example, in Ireland, um, from a a period of about 10 years in Ireland, we had a big project system of 10 to 12 different schools that were running applied behaviour analysis with kids with autism, which is the main educational method that's used with kids with autism. And it's found in research to be the most uh, effective tool to use with children. And that approach was implemented in Ireland for a period of around 10 years. And it's similarly starting to take off in the UK now. And there are a lot of good laws in the UK that allow for parents to campaign and to uh, lobby for the type of education they want for their children. So when parents get informed and seek out the interventions that they think are useful for their child, there's an onus on the government then to go and provide that. Um, So that's meant that there's ABA centres and schools and companies popping up around the UK and a lot of them are doing very well. Ofsted is the educational regulator in the UK and many of the ABA schools get rated as 
outstanding, which is the top rating you can get in the UK for a school. And similarly, the last company I worked with in the UK was um, a home based service uh, registered with the healthcare regulator, and they were also rated outstanding by them. So when it's done well, it can be very effective for the children and it shows up in terms of their inspections. Uh, one of the gaps that's there is there's never enough professionals. So there's always going to be a demand that will outstrip supply and parents often have to go through a big, long legal battle to try and get the support they need. And, you know, this can mean then that when a child gets a diagnosis, there may be a delay after the diagnosis to getting a service started or even there can be a delay to get the diagnosis. So a lot of the time families are left in this kind of no man's land where they've got very strong concerns. Child isn't developing as they siblings might have developed and they're worried and stressed and there isn't a lot of support there at that point unless you can actually go and find a therapist you know engage with them involve the medical professionals as well and go and you nearly have to pay for it all yourself at the beginning so there is definitely a need for a service or a support that would come in that would deliver something that can help language and help social skills at a much lower cost than providing a private therapist by yourself mm-hmm. and uh, that's where we feel the QT robot can come in then because you know, it's an affordable platform, can be used at home and uses evidence based methodologies that have been shown in other research fields to be successful with kids. Yeah. And as you're explaining all of this, I know that you haven't been in Luxembourg so long, but of course, um, a child with autism will have similar traits wherever they're born. And you said to me on the phone just yesterday, Ida, that in Europe, there is a great push for inclusion of all children into school and society, of course. But that comes with its own difficulties and pressures upon both the schools, which you've explained in great depth, and also the families. And of course, the families are the ones that could end up suffering the most, not least waiting for the diagnosis, but then dealing with that child, not knowing maybe how to deal with that child at home and the stresses that puts on all sorts of relationships within their families. So, Ida, can you tell us about the percentages of families or the numbers for Luxembourg? So the latest data that shows that autism is affecting one in 59 children. So it's almost close to 2% of the population. And what you mentioned about the inclusion, it's very important here because simply you cannot disregard like 2% of the future population. So inclusion is the key and we have to make sure that we are supporting these children to be able to be a part of the society and have like a fulfilled life and then be able to interact and then be able to be independent. Otherwise, if we can imagine that children would not have the sufficient support, then you would be obliged to provide social services to take care of children. And uh, what John mentioned in terms of the importance of the early intervention is exactly targeting this area that we want to make sure children will have the support as soon as possible and as um, sufficient as possible. So then we can help them to be more independent, be more autonomous and then be more included in the society. So in Europe, there is a lot of... uh, basically initiations to put children not into a specialized center, but include them into the mainstream schools. And of course, in theory, it's really nice, but these children need to be prepared. So a lot of times I have seen children that are excluded from a school, not because of their academic performances or because they couldn't, for example, learn in the school, but because they were not equipped with social skills that would allow them to sit in the classroom, to interact with the teacher or interact with the classmates. And then they had 
lot of like anxiety that would cause some kind of disruptive behaviors. And that was the reason that children were excluded from the school. So in Luxembourg, similar to any country, I would say in the world, there is always this kind of like a imbalance between the number of children who actually need support and the support which is accessible and available. And this is putting a lot of pressure on families. So this COVID situation showed a lot of parents that what will ha- happen if you become in charge of the education of your child. And imagine that if you have like a normally developing child and you want to teach them a little bit of mathematics and reading and writing, that would be quite a straightforward, right? And it's still it's, not easy. It still has put pressure on families. Exactly. <laughs> and still it's not easy. But then imagine that as a family with a child with special needs, Often it's very, very difficult to even imagine that from where should I start? I have a child that I don't know what to teach to them. And even if I know what to teach to them, I have to take a lot of time to educate myself to find the activities that are teaching this particular skill, but they are proper for each individual. And the method of communication without getting angry, I suppose, which would be a completely normal reaction for a poor parent put into that situation. I'm sure you've seen that. Yes, it's very difficult. So a lot of times when we talk with parents, we see that because they cannot have sufficient educational service for their kids, after a while they become somehow like a at-home carer for the children, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort for parents to educate themselves. So Yeah, exactly. They're having to educate themselves exactly. on how to educate their child. And it's a very difficult thing as well. So involving parents in the therapy is amazing and it really helps the child to learn, you know, if they learn a language skill with me as a therapist, they need to go and use that with mum or dad when I'm not around. And so involving the parents is very important, but you also have to remember that the parent is worrying about school, they're worrying about financial support, they're worrying about keeping the house running as normal, all the things that a parent has, plus all the special needs worries they have. And then they have to go and park all that stuff to one side and put on this professional therapist hat while they're working with their child. And they may not be doing it in a session. It might be while you're trying to cook or clean the dishes or take care of another child. And then you have to try and respond in a carefully planned way when your child is upset or prompt a communication skill when your child is trying to get at food in the fridge or something like this. Which I would say is pretty impossible, even on whatever normal day-to-day life is. It's just the stress. Very high, and it has been particularly high for many families Mm. through COVID times. So then, Ida, I mean, I'd love to think about you transitioning as a medical doctor into this health tech innovation sector. Why did you make that switch? And then tell us about how you came up with the idea with your partner for your robot QT. So when you work as a healthcare professional, you're always like in the front line of talking to people who need support. And sometimes it's really frustrating to think that I would not be able to provide the level of support that I want because I have like a very limited time and there are a lot of people who need my support. So then naturally one of the things that you would imagine is that how I can make these services accessible So even without, for example, like me or a colleague as a professional, people would have access to them because the ideal goal of a healthcare professional is to improve the health and well-being of people. So technology often comes really uh, important because you can see that there are a lot of things that you can scale and a lot of things that you can make accessible and accessible on demand rather than having the patients making a lot of appointments and waiting and then having limitation to access. 
But then I had the chance that my husband was working in the AI and robotic industry. So it was all the time some discussions about my job and his job. And then after a while, it was more discussions about like how the combination of these two would be something very interesting. And then the idea of Qt Robot came from the fact that we really wanted to do something which is really impactful. And then we found autism and providing support for children with autism particularly impactful because we thought that they are the most in demand. So they have the least possibilities in terms of care and access comparing to the other children and other health situations. And then this is a place that we can enter. And then we have the combination of our backgrounds, which fits quite nicely. And then probably we would be able to do something which is meaningful and can help a lot of people. It's so noble, such a wonderful idea and the combination of you working with your husband and joining forces with your skills as well. Now, putting on an impartial hat, John, if you can, I know you've just recently started working with Ida and her company Lux AI. Um, I know also you mentioned the word scalable and I can imagine a robot is much more scalable than training lots of human beings. From your point of view and the education you've gone through and the work you've done as a therapist, how do you see robots helping that field of work? Does it give you more time to think about what's happening and to reprogram robots to be able to interact with families and the children as they develop? Yeah, exactly. So the aim with QT Robot and all the games that are built into it is that the the robot is never just with the child, that there's always going to be a parent or a support worker or, uh, you know, he's in some schools now. So there's teachers working with the child and with the robot and that there's this three way triangular interaction going on so that when QT Robot gives some praise to the child or some encouragement, the child is delighted with it. And then we often find that the child is looking to their therapist or the, to their mum and dad, kind of point out like, look, the robot's real happy. <laughs> so that's what we want to get is this like interaction between the robot, the child and the parent and the child as well. And this is that phenomenon is known as joint attention, where a child will draw your attention to something that they're watching. So that's something that happens very early on in childhood and it's a good predictor of later on social skills. So the fact that QT Robot can generate this quite spontaneously while teaching colours and shapes and numbers is great for the child because it means that their learning becomes a lot more fluid. It's a lot easier to scale the robot, definitely, and then it will provide benefits even for families who have therapy situation ongoing because reduces a lot of the preparation time because the lessons are built in. We'd always see it being part of an interaction with other people rather than being something that um, can kind of step in and replace a therapist or something like that. It's going to be always part of family support for the child rather than something that replaces a parent's interaction with the child or replaces a therapist. Now, I don't know enough about autism or developing child's brain to know how it works. And as we've all said, it's a spectrum, at least I know that. But would you be trying to teach that child in the same way as whatever the spectrum of a normal child is? Or is it a completely different way of thinking? And you have to try to teach that child very specifically in the way he or she is thinking to then integrate into society at large? Or are you trying to move that way of thinking and teaching to align with school teaching as it is now? There's a little bit of each of those parts in there. So generally what you'll find is that with a typically developing toddler, if you show them the colour red once or twice, then they know it. With a child with autism, they're going to need to learn it 
multiple times. You're going to need to repeat it and you're also going to need to repeat it in various ways. So if I ask you to point to something red and you point to something red, that's not quite the same as if I hold up a red ball and ask you what the colour is. And there's no guarantee with a child with autism or even any other disability that when you know the red ball, that you know the red block or you know the red car. So you have to teach and plan for this generalisation which happens quite naturally with a typically developing child. So you might teach red 50 different ways, 50 different times, and you know repeat that over time until the concept of colours starts to bed in. So trying to include a child in school where a curriculum and where you know the, the pace of learning is a lot faster, we have to try and make sure that in the early stages, we teach children how to recognise things and move from one way of using their language to another. So, you know, if I teach them to point to the red ball, have to teach them to name the red ball and do this with lots and lots of different objects and try and build a kind of a complex web of language for the child, which happens quite naturally for a typically developing child. So you have to nearly plan that out for the child with autism. And then in school or when supporting them with social skills, you have to break them all down into much simpler steps. So, you know, a child in preschool will know that if they've um, hurt another child, the other child cries and they run away and they understand that they've upset that other person. Whereas a kid with autism may not know that, you know, you have to ask to share, you have to take turns and all kids have to learn these lessons. But it's much more fluid for a child typically developing to pick those things up. Whereas with a child with autism, we might have to say, look, this is sharing. This is taking a turn and you have to do it quite clearly and break it down into simpler and simpler steps and then link the steps all together so that a child can learn to play a full game and take turns and share with their friends. So it's the same type of skill they're trying to learn, but it just has to be done in a slightly different way. It's really fascinating, actually. And just thinking about the uptake, how has it been from a professional's point of view, the teaching profession's point of view and the families as well, not least the children themselves, but the whole spectrum of people involved in developing this child's life? So basically, so far, we had several hundred robots working in different organizations such as research centers and autism schools. And recently, we have been delivering it to a limited number of the parents. And then generally speaking, the feeling of the users and their experience is really, really positive. So normally we hear some stories from them, especially like sharing some moments that has happened while children were interacting with Q2 Robot. That was really interesting for the professionals that they have been working with the kids before and they could compare how QT could enhance the interaction there. And then also we hear that over the time, they really find it a very effective tool to use because after the child is exposed to the robot for a couple of times, they can really get to know how the sessions are working, how the robot is behaving. And then this consistency of behaviors and this consistency of activities and the fact that the child is comfortable with knowing how the game will flow and then how the robot would respond and then how it's going to ask the questions, it really gives them some kind of sense of comfort that they know what is going to happen. And it's the biggest impact factor that when children know what is going to happen, they will be able to focus better. And then in the world of education, engagement, attention and focus is the key. So you cannot teach any child anything unless you have their attention and unless you have their engagement and focus. So the most interesting thing that we often hear quite early on from the therapist or the parents is this 
engagement that is created. So the child can focus better, they can keep their focus for a longer duration of time. And of course, when the child has the better focus and longer focus, it means more practice and more development in long run, which is something which is really important. But then Beside that, one of the things which is really important is that for children with autism and special need education, you often really need to deliver the activities in a very structured way. And you know that children would love to play and have fun and learning through play is something which is very effective for children. So by using Q2Robot, we are actually delivering the same structured activities which has been shown to be effective for children with special need and autism but in a very fun and engaging and game-like. So often what we see is that children are not feeling that they are receiving therapy or they are working on educational activities, but they see the interaction with robot as something funny and interesting and playing games and sharing some fun moments with the robot. And this is also another point that really makes a big difference because when children think that they are playing and having fun, they are more acceptive toward learning something and then they are more acceptive toward for example you fixing their errors and then telling them that this is the right way to do something than the time that they feel that okay I'm sitting in an educational setup or I'm receiving therapy so this kind of like a fun interaction with robot really promotes children to be more collaborative and open toward having the sessions and practicing more and learning more comparing to the time that we have like a very structured activity that is not so funny and interesting for the kids. And are there any ethical issues here? At any point, does the child develop a stronger bond with the robot than with the human, for instance? You you told me there's a triangle of the robot, the child and a caregiver. So how do those relationships change? Is the robot always helping or anything you've had to think about? Yeah, we do have to consider that because you don't want a situation where the robot is able to give loads and loads of, you know, lessons and instructions and teaching. And then when mum or dad tries to do it, you know, the child isn't as receptive. So we have it set up in such a way that there'll be also times where QT Robot will say, oh, my assistant's going to help you now or my assistant. That's what we call the parent or the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> They've been delegated. You've been hired as an assistant. Um, so we say, you know, my assistant will show you and they might show an action or, you know, might help with whatever the lesson is. And that's making sure that the instructions are moving back and forth between QT Robot and the parent as well. So the parent doesn't have to plan the lesson or doesn't have to structure it out, but QT Robot will give the prompt for them to get involved as well. So that helps to reduce that risk that there's a, a chance of the parent mm. being excluded. I love that idea of the parent being the assistant. I, th I think there would be much more engagement and focus yeah, with this children. Is something that we actually like hear it a lot from the parents that, you know, like if as a mom or dad you want to teach something to your child, often they are not really, you know, like engaged into it or they tend to not to listen that much to their like parents comparing to the, for example, like teachers who have like a higher authority on them. But then since QT is like collaborating with the parent and calling the parent that my assistant will do it, the children are extremely open to interact with the parent because it's like a recommendation that is coming from QT robot. And parents really love it because... One of the things that I hear really often is that 
they really want to interact with the child. And this kind of like a social interaction is a very, very important point that we want to help the child with. But often what happens is that children with autism tend to have all their focus on objects, let's say. So, for example, like if they are working with a tablet, it's very difficult to talk with them while they're interacting with the tablet. But because of the social character that QT has, it really facilitates the interaction with the parents. And we have seen that children making some kind of like a bond with the robot, but it's always like has been a positive bond. So in no case, we have seen a child that doesn't understand that at the end QT is an object, but for them, it's an object that is like interesting and more social. So they tend to interact with it socially in a sense that, for example, I have seen a lot of videos, they send kisses to the robot, they wave hi. Sometimes when they want to leave the therapy session, they give a kiss on the forehead of the robot. So they create a bond, but at the end of the day, they know that, okay, this is an object. So for them, it's clear and obvious. And this is something which is positive, because if you want to teach social interaction and emotions and some form of communication, you really need this kind of social bond to be able to practice these skills. So without that, it would be very difficult. But of course, as John mentioned, intentionally, we are developing the content in a way that there is a very, very active role for the parent or for the carer who is like involved in the session to be able to basically practice the sessions, not just with the robot, but we immediately replicate the same thing that they practice with QT with the human being. So we want to show the child that these are not skills to interact with the robot, but these are skills that you can use in your everyday life when you go to school, when you are at home, when you go to a birthday party or anything else. It sounds like a a lovely thing to give the parents confidence as well in their home environment and take away a lot of that stress. It's such a wonderful thing that you've created and something that also stands out to me is that you are dealing across different layers of society, different networks, and even within the medical field, the teamwork across different departments is vast. How have you managed, Ida, you and your husband, to to find John, to come to Luxembourg, to set this up here in a place that is not your home? How have you managed to do every single step of this, which is outstanding in its development of what it is and what it provides to children and families dealing with autism. But how have you created that? So basically, when I came to Luxembourg in 2014, my husband was doing his PhD in the University of Luxembourg. And our company is the spin-off of the University of Luxembourg. And it has been created based on the proof of concept project, which was one of the schemas of the Fund National Research for basically supporting the ideas from research that has like the potential to become as a commercial product. So having the support of the university, the link between different interdisciplinary research groups and having the support of FNR was basically really, really important for us as people who have recently come to this country. So it really helped us to take the initial steps and then be able to meet the local players and be able to get in touch with them, especially when we are developing the robot. So from the beginning, when we even have like the idea of creating this robot, we really wanted to make sure that we are building something that is not just 
result of our imagination, but something that can be really useful and impactful for the end user. So we had a very, very great support from Fondation Autism Luxembourg at the beginning. Even when we had like, like a 2D drawing of a robot, we just make an appointment with them. And then we had a lot of in-depth discussions with them. And they are really kind to support us, to help us to get to know the care situation and to understand what would be useful. And then immediately after we had a working prototype, they again supported us to do some small trials with children and then do longer studies to make sure that what we are creating is something which is really bringing value. As a startup in Luxembourg, you always have very, very great support from Lux Innovation, from Ministry of Economy. So we have been really lucky to be able to create a network from supporters in Luxembourg that they really could help us to get to know people, discuss important things about like having a business in Luxembourg or generally and support us to basically reach to where we are standing now. It sounds like you've had wonderful support all the way through. What a lovely business success as a spin-off from the University of Luxembourg. And I'm quite sure they're very glad you and your husband (laughs) came here. And great that you found John as well. Have you got any final thoughts for families dealing with autism? Any words of encouragement that you would like to give to them on this special weekend? The main thing is to keep going as you're going. You know, my experience working with families with autism is that they're always given more than you expected any human being can actually do. They're always the teacher, the social worker, the lawyer, the fighter, the advocate. They're doing so much. So the main thing on the fact that it's going to be World Autism Day is to praise and thank those parents for it and to encourage the groups that are advocating for them to try and make sure there's more support available. That's wonderful. Thank you both so much for your time and for everything that you're building for these children and their families. Thank you again. Cheers. Thank Thank you you very much.